Good morning, everyone. If you want to find your seat, we'll get started. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we'll get right going here. My Hainesville started to come out in me there. Sorry. <clears throat> there. So my name is Brent Smith, and uh, if you're new with us this morning, uh, we're very glad that you've joined us, and uh, we hope you feel very welcome here. Uh, we've had a great uh, last few weeks with Mark and Debbie Rushworth, and a great time at the weekend away. And uh, if you still haven't heard Joe's talk from Sunday morning at the weekend away, he wanted me to encourage you to do that. Um, so if you're new with us or have only been with us a short time and are uh, wondering what our vision is as a church and some key things that we're looking at, I encourage you to listen to that sermon. Or if you've been with us for a while and are still wondering the same thing, uh, listen to Joe's message. It's on the website. I think May 26 or so. So look it up and uh, give it a listen. And even if you've listened to it, uh, even if you heard them that morning, it'd uh, be good to, to listen to it again. And so putting that talk into action, Joe and Angela are in St. John's, Newfoundland this weekend, uh, visiting a couple there, uh, Rafaro and Samu, uh, to talk and pray and uh, hope to hear from God about what he wants to do in that city. So you can be in prayer for them. They'll be back uh, tomorrow evening. So, uh, this morning we're going to start Psalms. And what I want to do is, is just give a bit of an overview of the book. And so we'll begin with some kind of uh, technical things about looking at the Psalms and how they're written uh, so we can get a good understanding of what we're going to jump into, uh, lay a bit of some, some groundwork there. And if you stay with me through that first bit, uh, we'll also look at some common themes that run through uh, Psalms and hopefully uh, bring those to bear on our life. I've also made up this little piece of paper, which you can find on the welcome table. It just has a topical index of the Psalms. And then on the bottom, there's a few references uh, for Psalms that kind of carry uh, uh, messianic or prophetic images of Christ. And so I encourage you to pick that up. It's on the welcome table and uh, put it in your Bible. And hopefully it's a tool that serves you well. So <clears throat> we're going to jump around quite a bit this morning. So uh, there won't be any scriptures on the screen. And I forgot my jump drive with my slide. So you just get the logo. And you can try to keep up or you can just listen to me. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and we thank you for meeting us here this morning. We thank you that you are our shield and our strength and our portion and our deliverer. And you are so many things to us, Father. We are so thankful for your blessing on our lives and we're so thankful for the blessing of your word. And we just pray, Father, now that uh, by your spirit you would give us insight into it that you give us hearts that receive your message and that are open to your word. And uh, we just want to have a high view of you and how great you are and humbly put ourselves under you, Father. And we just thank you for how, uh, how you have 
dealt with us, as Joel said, not high and above, but you've come down and you're a personal God, and we just thank you for that. We thank you for being our Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> so, we get the word psalms from a Greek word that just means songs, and in the Hebrew Bible, uh, the book is, has the title of praises. Uh, the psalms are divided into five books, which is thought to complement the five books of the Pentateuch, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So that's why they think they've divided the Psalms up into five books. Each of those books finishes with the doxology, which is a short hymn of praise to God. And as far as the structure of the Psalms, that's about it. Uh, people have sometimes tried to look for common things that run through each book, and what does this book mean and that book mean, but it's pretty loose at best. Uh, the 150 songs that make up Psalms make it the largest book in the Bible. Uh, it features both the longest chapter, Psalm 119, and the shortest chapter, Psalm 117. It is the most frequently quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. In the first three chapters of Hebrews, there are 51 verses, and 19 of those are direct quotes from Psalms, so over a third of the first three chapters of Hebrews is Psalms. It's arguably the most popular book in the Old Testament, if not the Bible. Uh, New Testament-only Bibles usually put Psalms in at the end, and when Bible translators are translating the Bible into a different language, Psalms is almost always the first Old Testament book that they translate. Throughout history, it has been the songbook for people who love to worship God. The early church sang the Psalms. Uh, classical composers like Bach were inspired by the Psalms. And even today, much of what we sang this morning is taken directly from the Psalms. It has provided the church with some of their best-loved Bible passages. In fact, you probably know more Psalms more verses from Psalms than any other book in the Bible. <clears throat> and it definitely wins the race as far as verses on coffee cups, bookmarks, paintings, greeting cards, journal covers, etc. <clears throat> so, with its length and its popularity and the way that this book has impacted the church over the years, it's definitely uh, a heavyweight, we'll see in Scripture, and uh, I'm excited to start going through it this summer, and I hope you are too. So, <clears throat> we're going to look at a particular psalm to use it to get familiar uh, with what the psalms look like. Uh, so you, if, you, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 57, and we'll use it as an example to look at a few elements that make up a psalm. Psalm 57. <clears throat> so, after the title, which uh, has been added in by, by the people who translated the Bible, uh, there's usually a heading there that has a few different uh, pieces of information. So there's usually a, an identification with a person, 
There's an association with a historical event. There's musical or liturgical details. And there's the type of psalm that it is. So we see in Psalm 57, it says, To the choir master, according to do not destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So we have an identification with a person of David. So we often associate all of the psalms as David. People often say the psalms of David. But only 73 are actually attributed to him, just under half. And these 150 songs were written over a few centuries by multiple different authors. So you'll find authors like Asaph, who wrote 12 of the psalms. Another 12 are attributed to the sons of Korah. And they think those two guys, Asaph and the sons of Korah, were like the directors for larger choirs that sang in the temple. Uh, Two psalms were written by David's son, Solomon, Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. And then there's a few one-offs like Moses, who wrote Psalm 90, uh, Ethan, who wrote Psalm 89, and He-Man, who wrote Psalm 88, which if he wasn't your favorite biblical author before, he should be now. He-Man. I mean, come on. <clears throat> Anyone else grew up in the 80s? Or <clears throat> but of course, as a church that loves the Bible and believes the Bible, uh, we see the ultimate author of Psalms as the Holy Spirit, and the songs and prayers we read in Psalms are inspired by God. And so what's great about the Psalms is they're not just God's Word to us, but there are words to God. And so as we read the Psalms, we have God-inspired words from man to God. So that's what's really uh, unique about the Psalms. And because of that, uh, they give us a great model of how to pray, how to worship, how to experience God. And we'll look at that in a minute. Second, you can have uh, an historical, a historical event. So here it says, uh, of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So 14 psalms give uh, a heading that includes a historical event, all of which refer to some part of David's life. Um, and these psalms are great in that you can use them to supplement your reading as you go through the life of David in like First and Second Samuel. Okay, so for instance, if you read 1 Samuel 22, it says that David was hiding in a cave from Saul. And that's all you really get as far as details. But when you add in Psalm 57, it's like having the biography, but also having the personal diary. Okay, so you get the historical facts, but then you add Psalm 57 in there, and you see what was going on in David's heart at that time. Because I think our tendency uh, sometimes when we read these psalms, so you read Psalm 57, and it's just a great praise to God, and you can picture David just strolling through the temple in the cool of the day with a glass of wine, praising God. In reality, he was running for his life in a stinking wet cave with the king, Saul, trying to kill him. And what is his heart in that situation? We read Psalm 57, and it shows us that it was focused on the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. So I encourage you as you go through the Psalms, if you see one of those historical events, 
go back, read what happened, and in an instance like this, when you see David running for his life, crouched in the back of a stinking cave, praising God for his steadfast love and his faithfulness, you can be encouraged and do the same when you feel that you're in a similar situation. So thirdly, we have uh, musical details. And a lot of these can be a little confusing because the guys who study these things, they don't really know uh, how to translate them. And so they've just kind of left them as what they are. And so uh, you'll see words like sila, which is all over the place, uh, which is some sort of musical marker. And there are other things like when it says according to, they kind of think that that might be a, to the tune that the psalm should be sung to. Uh, so you'll have nice peaceful ones like Psalm 22, according to the doe of the dawn. Okay, that sounds really nice. Psalm 45, according to the lilies. And then there's the more hardcore heavy metal ones like this one that says according to do not destroy. All right? <laughs> I'm just saying, if the tune's called do not destroy... It's heavy, all right? <laughs> David took the harp to the limit on that one. I didn't get an amen from Keith at all. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> and then fourthly, you'll see some designation of what type of psalm it is. So you'll see a psalm of David, a song. Uh, there's other ones like uh, a maskil. And this one, Psalm 57, says... Uh, a miktam, and again, they don't know how to translate those really, and so they've just left them. And uh, But it's nice to see that the Israelites had some variation of songs, whatever that might be. Uh, but what I gather from those is that it should be clear to you that these are songs. They're not historical events. They're not letters to churches. They are, these are songs. Uh, that are meant to be sung. And that's what's so great that so many of our worship songs have included so much of the psalms in them. God loves singing. And to my knowledge, no other religion sings like we do. And some don't even believe in singing about their faith, which is strange in that we write songs about anything that we find enjoyable. And we sing songs about anything that we find enjoyable. <clears throat> so we should be bursting in song about the one thing in whose presence there is fullness of joy. God wants you to sing. So much so that he added a 150 songbook to the middle of his word. <clears throat> John Calvin, in his commentary on Psalms, said, among all the other things that are proper for the recreation of man and for giving him pleasure, music, if not the first, is among the most important, and we must consider it a gift from God expressly made for that purpose. We know from experience that song has a great power and strength to move and inflame the hearts of men to invoke and praise God with a heart more vehement and ardent. Great words. <clears throat> So if you've been coming here for a while or for a few weeks and you don't sing, I want to encourage you as we go through the Psalms this summer, it's a great time 
to start singing. Fire it up. All right? <clears throat> These are God-inspired songs from man to God about God. And so, just let her go. I was there once where I didn't sing, and, and then I got over it. Hey, after the, after, the, after the Last Supper, it says Jesus got up and he sang a hymn. So if you want to be like Jesus, sing, okay? There's my simple, uh, simple plea. You're going to do it for eternity, so you might as well get some practice in, right? Sing now in your off-key, out-of-tune, cracking voice, and singing perfectly in heaven will mean more to you, okay? Is that good? <clears throat> so, if you don't sing, you, when you read through the Psalms, it's just going to be weird for you because they're going to command you over and over to sing to the Lord. So, sing, and as John Calvin says, let your heart be inflamed. The last thing I'll point out, uh, we'll move down into the actual Psalm. So, that's the heading, and those are things that we find in the headings. Uh, so I just want to show you something about how the Psalms are written. Hebrew poetry, which is what the Psalms are, is not built on rhyme or rhythm, but on its way of matching or echoing uh, one thought with another. And so we often have matching lines, parallel lines, as a verse. And so the first line makes a statement, and the second line says, yes, and even more so this. Okay? That's how kind of the Psalms are written. Not every verse does this, but that's kind of the foundation of the poetry of the Psalms. So sometimes the second line enhances the first line with a similar statement. So if you see verse 9 here of 57, it says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. Two very similar lines just complementing each other. Uh, sometimes the second line completes the thought by giving a contrast to the first line. So next week, Gary's going to do Psalm 1. You'll see in that, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's contrasting lines that complete the thought. And other times, it's like a stair step. So the first one says something, and then the second line expands it into even greater detail. So Psalm 57, look at verse 3. It says, He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. So the first line says he's going to save me. The second line says he's going to save you, yes. But even more so, he's going to put to shame him who tramples on you. Okay? So I think it's helpful to keep that in your mind as you read through the Psalms. The idea of these matching lines. And it's significant to me um, because this type of poetry that doesn't rely on rhyme and rhythm as much as English poetry does, survives translation, okay? So originally written in Hebrew, it can be translated into almost any language without a great loss of its beauty or its power, okay? Which is significant because, I don't know about you, but that just shouts to me about the sovereignty and the providence of God over his scripture, over not just what was written, but how it was written and the time that it was written. 
And not only that, it shows me a God who has so much care and love and compassion for his church that he wrote these 150, or he inspired the men to write these 150 songs in that way that they could translate into any language for any nation in any era that still inspires our hearts to sing because the beauty and the power of the poetry hasn't been lost. So now, even so many years later, in a different part of the world, we can still appreciate the beauty of the poetry of Psalms and sing their praises to God. How awful it would be if we were always saying, well, in Hebrew, that rhymed, but when we bring it into English, that doesn't really rhyme. And, and we read the Psalms, and it's a lot more like prose than it is poetry. It would just be awful, right? <clears throat> but God, in his compassion and his sovereignty, that's not the case. I just love that. I don't know about you, but 10,000 reasons, that's one of them for me. Okay, so that's the quick overview of what we're getting into with the Psalms, and so when you read them this summer, just keep in mind who is writing, uh, keep, a, keep attention to the setting as well, if there's historical details, go back, see when the Psalm uh, was written, keep notice of those matching lines, the echoing thoughts of this type of poetry, meditate on those. Because they're written that way, the other thing that's great is that they lend themselves to memorization. So uh, maybe you want to memorize a psalm this summer, which I would encourage you to do. Uh, If that seems daunting to you, take on 117. You get two verses down, and you can confidently say that you've memorized a chapter of the Bible. Okay? Or maybe you're a pro star and you want to do 119. You go ahead. A friend of my dad's memorized the whole thing. He'd say it every morning on his morning jog. So it can be done. Okay? Uh, The other thing to remember as well is that these are songs uh, that are meant to be sung. And so for those of you who are good with music, uh, maybe you want to try to put one to to music, which would be great. And if it's really good, uh, we'll all be blessed from it. And if it's okay then you'll be blessed by it. (laughs) Okay? Sorry. I'm not going to try it because I'm not good at music. So, let's look at uh, some common themes uh, that run through Psalms. Martin Luther called Psalms a little Bible and the summary of the Old Testament. And if we picture Psalms as the heart of the Old Testament... If we look at Psalms as the God-inspired songbook for worship of God, then these common themes that run through the book doing a gr- do a great job at showing us what worship looks like. And so these themes, we'll just picture them as brushstrokes painting the heart of the worshiper of God. Okay? So we've got seven of those uh, brushstrokes, and we'll just line them up and... And knock them out here. We'll burn right through them. Okay? So, the heart of the worshiper of God, the first thing that the psalm shows us is that it enjoys praising God. This is the main flavor of the psalms. 
and it's the first brushstroke on the canvas. If you want to turn to 145, Psalm 145, a song of praise of David, says, I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. So this praise doesn't focus mainly on what He has done, although that's in there, but its main focus is on who He is and who His works reveal Him to be. It's centered on God. It's focused on God. It's built on God. True worship is never focused on people or even focused on the help that God can give us to achieve our goals, but is focused on God Himself. And C.S. Lewis said that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. And so we say things like, what a beautiful day, it's absolutely gorgeous out, or have you seen that movie, it's awesome, it's the best movie of the summer, right? We enjoy it, and so we praise it. And so the question should be for us, are we enjoying God, and are we praising God? If you're saying that you're a worshiper of God, what does the What does your praise say of the joy that you find in Him? God is so beautiful and perfect and glorious in all things that if you know Him, you will praise Him. The second thing with the worshiper of God is that he is honest before God. Because... With the worshiper of God, he realizes that things aren't always peachy. He doesn't walk around with rose-colored glasses. The psalms are full of distress, abandonment, the psalms of lament. In fact, these are the most common types of psalms, with 62 of the 150 being laments. If you want to know what those type of psalms sound like, we'll read a bit of Psalm 38. Psalm 38 <clears throat> says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. We sometimes think 
that it's more spiritual to not feel pain or at least not communicate that we experience it, <clears throat> to not show ourselves as weak or vulnerable, but that's not the case with the Psalms. <clears throat> the Psalms show us we can experience suffering and distress and even be at the doorstep of despair. And part of our worship to God is being honest before Him. God takes great delight in the worship of Him through our being honest of where we're at. And we're not honest with many people. <clears throat> so when you walked in this morning and one of the welcome team people said, How are you? All God's people said, Good. Right? When you really wanted to say, I'm stressed to the max. I'm worried about my kids. I haven't had a good sleep since 1997. <clears throat> right? I'm weak and I'm tired. <clears throat> but we don't say that because there's not many people in your life that you can be that honest with and there's great wisdom to know who those people are lest you dump on the mailman when he shows up on your doorstep. But you can be honest before God. You can be real with Him and you can say with David, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. <clears throat> the true worshiper of God knows real joy and enjoys praising God and is honest about the difficulties of life. Thirdly, the heart of a worshiper of God remembers God's goodness. And the Psalms do this uh, so wonderfully, uh, mixing it in with praise of who God is. Uh, if you want to go to Psalm 136, might be a familiar psalm uh, to many of you because of the refrain of his steadfast love endures forever. But in between those refrains <clears throat> is an account of God working for his people throughout history. So Psalm 136 verse 13 says, To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. <clears throat> and it's this memory of God's past goodness on Israel. That gives them encouragement and faith for God's goodness in the future. And so when you have a promise that God of God's goodness for your future and you water that with the memory of his past goodness on your life, your faith is increased. So if the vision that Joe shared at the weekend away seems overwhelming and impossible to you, get Joe to recount how God has been good and his favor has been on this church over the past few years. And his steadfast love has been on this church. <clears throat> and you'll be able to look forward at what God is able to do. <clears throat> Another thing I just want to point out before we move on to the next thing. Is that <clears throat> if you have been serving God for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years and you've been seeing Him work in your life throughout that, 
Now is not the time to fade and step into the background and let other people rise up. What a pool of memories of God's faithfulness you have that you can just swim in each day. Use those memories of year after year after year of God's goodness in your life to be encouraged and push forward. Don't leave all the work and the vision and the passion to those younger than you. The vision that Joe shared isn't just for the young guns. It's for you as well. And use that memory and be encouraged and encourage those who don't have the wealth of that resource that you have. So maybe God is calling you to serve in some new area. Maybe he's calling you to church plant. I don't know. But I do know that he is at the very least calling you to use the extended history of his faithfulness in your life to encourage those who are being called. Water the promises of God's future goodness with the memories of his past goodness. The fourth thing that makes up the heart of a worshiper is this. He pursues righteousness. This is the first thing we see in Psalms. In Psalm 1, uh, there are other Psalms like Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 that carry the basic message of delight yourself in the Word of God and follow it because when you follow His Word, you're in His will and there's no better place for you to be than in His will. And it's not that true worshipers of God are perfect, far from it, but they are made righteous before God through the sacrifice of Jesus and, on, and, and now their heart says with David in Psalm 25, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. By your great grace, you saved me, and now I want to know your ways and walk in them. True worshipers of God, heed God's word by God's power for God's purposes. the fifth brushstroke painting the picture of the heart of the worshiper of God is repentance. When we fall into sin, when we get off of God's good path, the true worshiper of God, when he becomes aware of that, he repents. He turns. He runs away from that sin that he was previously pursuing. He changes. There are seven of these types of psalms. Seven psalms of repentance and change. They are 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Psalm 32 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you 
and did not cover my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And if any of you were with us back in May at TAG, you saw God's great delight when the heart of a worshiper repents and turns back to Him. And you saw firsthand what that does for the individual and what it does for the community. And God's great love, His steadfast love, was on us that evening. God takes great delight in the worship of Him that says, I'm turning from this and I'm turning to you. The sixth thing the psalm shows us of the heart of a worshiper is this. He humbly trusts in a sovereign God. Throughout the psalms, God is lifted up. He is put in His proper place. The psalms proclaim God as a king of absolute power. Psalm 93 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on the strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. And because the worshiper of God is under that sovereign ruler over all he has made, the worshiper can then humbly trust him in all things. From his view of God as absolute ruler over this universe, he can then live like Psalm 112, which says, He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. So the bad news of layoffs, the bad news of illness, the bad news of loss don't cripple you with fear and anxiety because you haven't put your, your trust in your job and you haven't pushed, put your trust in your health and you haven't put your trust in your family. You've put your trust in the God who reigns over all of it. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. So the worshiper of God enjoys praising Him, is honest before Him, remembers His goodness, pursues righteousness, repents of sin, humbly trusts Him, and the last thing, He gives thanks to God. So we started out praising God for who He is, and now we thank Him for His gifts. And thanksgiving is one of the most prominent themes in Psalms. Psalm 104, Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Psalm 79.13 But we, Your people, the sheep of Your pasture, will give thanks to You forever. Psalm 50.23 The one who offers thanksgiving as His sacrifice glorifies Me. Thanksgiving is so key to the heart of a worshiper of God because a heart that is full of thanksgiving is a heart that is empty of pride. A heart that recognizes itself as a sinner against a holy God who deserves death but is given life through Jesus. 
a heart that recognizes that apart from God, he can do nothing, a heart that sees that everything he has is a gift from God, a heart that is humble like that is a heart that is thankful. How quick God is to hear us when we cry out to him for help and how quick we are to forget and not give him the thanks he deserves and how often we take for granted all that God has blessed us with. When Barb was talking about in times of distress and we cry out to God and we fight and then when he answers and then we slip into complacency, a great way to fight against that complacency is to continually thank him for delivering you from that distress. <clears throat> so, the worshiper of God enjoys praising him, is honest before him, remembers his goodness, pursues righteousness, repents of sin, humbly trusts him, and gives thanks to him. Psalms is a book of God-inspired words of men worshiping God. And what we see <clears throat> is that it really paints a picture of what the heart of a worshiper looks like. And the last thing I'll draw your attention to is this. For all those things, those seven things, the Psalms give examples of each one of those in the context of an individual and in the context of a community. Okay? So there are psalms for each one of those in the context of one man speaking to God and in the context of a community of people coming together to worship their God. <clears throat> so may we then be a people who seek to worship God in these ways, both individually, privately, on our own, through the week, when no one's around, when no one can see us, and on Sunday mornings at TAG, at Life Group, when we're joined together with other people who worship, may these things ring true as well. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for how great and glorious you are. We thank you for your great grace on us through your Son, Jesus. And we just want to declare that we want to be a people who enjoys praising you for all your greatness of who you are and the extent of your power and your wisdom and your grace and your mercy and your love on us. We just want to uh, lift our voices and sing to you of how great you are, Father. And we want to be a people that is honest before you, that help us, Father, not to hide uh, where we're at. And may we just lay all our longing and our sighing before you. Help us to be a people that uh, continually look back at your goodness on our life, which despite our uh, young age or our old age, the goodness that you have worked on us is immense. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to see it and help us to use that to increase our faith about the future promises you have on our life. Help us, Father, <clears throat> to pursue righteousness and to walk in your ways and to read your word and to know what it is for your, your will is for our life and to follow on that path, Father. Help us to stay steadfast after you. And when we get off track, help us to repent of our sin and quickly turn uh, to you and declare that you are worthy and uh, pursue you and not pursue the sin that we were previously running after so hard. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us to humbly put ourselves under you 
as a sovereign ruler over this universe and put our full trust in you. Help us not to put our trust in our paycheck or our job or our schooling and our education or our family and our friends. All those things, our health and our exercise, you are Lord over it all and we put our full trust in you and then we are free from fear and uh, the crippling effects of anxiety and worry over our life. We put our full trust in you, God. And we just pray as well that you'd help us in all those things to continually thank you for your goodness on us. May we wake every morning and see your mercies and then continually thank you. May, your, may our thanks always be on our lips of you working on our life and you, your grace on our life. May it be true for us individually as we go about our day and may it be things that ring true for this church. May we be known as a people who love to worship you in these ways. We thank you, Father. We pray that you would do that by the power of your Spirit. We just pray, Father, that you'd fill us with your Spirit to accomplish these things. In Jesus' name, amen.